Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of your hosts. And my name is Ethan, two of your hosts. And this week we are discussing episode five of season three, Reflection. Directed by Mike Mullen, who we've covered before, and written by the creator himself, Mike McMahon. And I feel that the show is back... Mm-hmm. Uh, to use the tired cliche, firing on all cylinders. I feel vindicated because my <laughs> statement rang true. I really think you really kick it up. It's it's been the case for three seasons in a row. I think it's been that they kind of do random shit in the first half of the season mm-hmm. without too much consequence and then suddenly and see once you once they hit the midway point they just really ramp it up um now i should say as of this recording we have already seen the episode after this so that only reconfirms everything i said so but we'll talk about that next week as well so or next week meaning in a couple days. meaning in a couple days meaning for us monday yes yeah so but this one revisited an old thread that I have to confess I sort of forgot about Um, which you know I'm of course referring to Rutherford's whole storyline here but it was weird like when when it came up again I thought oh right we don't really know what the deal is with his implants the show hasn't really told us about it about it or anything and I forgot that is it that it's a pretty interesting story honestly yeah, I mean, this is, I think, where Lower Decks, when you watch it, you know, yes, it's a, again, it's a comedy, but they're still telling you a really kind of, they still do drama and mystery really well. And this was, of course, a story, you know, that has nothing but that. And I remember us seeing that flashback of him sort of on that operating table once before, which I think think was sometime at the end of season one or in season two it's after i think it was after around the time at the end of season one when he sec when he when his memory was wiped and then it gradually was coming back at the beginning of the next season i think we saw we saw it somewhere in there as i recall mm-hmm. but we learn a little bit more about what it is but still kind of not too much so we learn that it, there's sort of like a split personality in there somewhere it's it's Rutherford before he got the implant, his younger self essentially in conflict with his older self. And but we get an explanation of like early in season two when suddenly he randomly liked to eat pears, right? So they they say, yo, that was that was younger Rutherford trying to assert himself. So there's sort of like a dual personality battle happening in there. Right, or at least in this episode there is. Whereas before right. it was pretty firmly established that he was this new Rutherford. And right. it's interesting that the old Rutherford was much more um, hard-edged, I guess we could say, a little more uh, chip on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. He it was a little it was a little surprising to see. I was I was a little taken aback by that, in all honesty, because Rutherford is like he's like one of the most likable characters in the show, and to see him as his younger self being a little bit more of a I don't know why I just want to say rebel, but it's such a cliche term to even say to describe him that way. But that's kind of what it feels like, right? 
Oh, totally. He's kind of like a 24th century. He's almost like almost like a 24th century Fonzie, kind of. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But it's interesting, and we but we don't learn anything else really about the story behind his implant. Once again, they show a flashback on the operating table. They show us a little bit more. There seems to be somebody high in command on Starfleet and from Starfleet involved in it, but we still don't really, they've not advanced that aspect of it really. And I wanted to ask you, you know, do you have any theories? But honestly, like there's, I don't because there's really nothing to go on. No, I don't have any theories. Yeah. I do find it very interesting somehow the implant is involved and yeah. so they had to whatever it is brainwash him to think that he opted to have it. Right. When really somehow they're covering up for something that they did it seems. Yeah, there's there's definitely some sort of conspiracy in there, right? Mm-hmm. What it actually is, we have no idea. And again, this was one of those plot threads that they've not really come back to very often so when they came back to it i had kind of as i said i had kind of forgotten about it because the show obviously does not make me think that it's a continual story arc even though it is all the but right it's it's, sort of the most continuing storyline that they have or the most detailed because we get sort of these character ideas that boimler is trying to right you know, move up and, and Mariner is confused about her place. Right. And Tendi's trying to find out where she fits in, but this is more of an actual ongoing story, which is which is interesting. The show really doesn't do that much, but I think it works. But here's the great thing. They did it, but didn't sacrifice the jokes and the story and all that. Now, also, it's interesting that the creator of the show would would write this episode being one that revisits this ongoing story. Right. Perhaps this is something near and dear to Mike McMahon's heart or brain. Yeah, potentially. What did you think of the kind of the story itself and how Rutherford had to get out of it? Like how it sort of evolved, how he ended up resolving it. I mean, personally, Um, I thought it was I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I mean, I like obviously, of course, filled with Easter eggs, right? Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty fun. I think um, certainly um, this is a classic Trek trope, as we yeah. always say. Yeah, good kind of Trek trope. Right. Uh, the fact that he was not a physical manifestation, I guess, made it a little different than than most. I love that they spawned in this white void, and they even make because they always do that in Trek. I mean, the founders do it that way, and or not the founders. Um, oh God, I'm blanking out. The Celestial Temple is that way. It's just this white void. Same with, you know, they do something like that on Enterprise as well. But Q did it in... So we've seen this before, right? And I like that they... Not only do they do that, but they also make reference to it. Like, oh my god, it's another white void. I forget... I don't remember what the exact line was, but it was said in a very kind of like joking manner. Like, why is it always like this? Yes, yes. And, you know, yeah, I love it when we do that in these shows. Yeah. And so there were a few interesting things that I think took place. One that was very surprising is it was Shax who immediately knew something was wrong. Yeah. Only Shax, not even Tendi, his best friend, right. recognized right away. So I thought that was interesting just to, um, you know, another element of Shax, just that he's that perceptive and... and yeah, um, 
because younger kind of more badass maybe Fonzie Rutherford is able to sort of take control of the Rutherford that's aboard the Cerritos and so mm-hmm. and turn on sort of Ned Flanders like um, yes. affectation in order to convince people that yes yeah so yeah I did find that interesting that Shax managed to notice it and yeah I, I and I had wondered if there was anything there with that I mean were they planning on going anywhere with that but I don't know. I think it just Shaq's is great at his job. To know these things? Yeah, he's security, and, you know, this is probably something that comes up a lot. And on, they only have 23 yeah. minutes. Yeah, and on Federation ships, really, I mean, the odds that you're going to see someone hmm. whose body is taken over by some other being is right. probably pretty high. You'll encounter that a couple times in your career. I really liked what they did as far as... Because the two of them obviously have to figure out, well, who gets to... Who wins? Who you know? If I win, then you get the body. If I win, I get the body. But so they have to figure out a way to do this, and so they just end up building two separate starships and having a race. So Rutherford, of course, builds the Delta Flyer from Voyager, and it's an entire nod to um, a, 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 a very random episode of Voyager from season seven called Drive, where the Delta Flyer is involved in a race with these other alien ships. And he's wearing the exact same uniform that Tom, Paris, and Balana wear as they're racing these other ships. I didn't so, realize that it yeah. was. I thought it was only Boimler who had this Tom Paris love, but I guess yeah. For Delta, wow. It was interesting. Like I mean, I like that they did build the Delta Flyer. I, I, when I had seen the trailers, though, I had hoped it was like the actual Delta Flyer showing up at some point. But oh, yeah. yeah, it was a really because that 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 episode of Voyager, in my opinion, is not that great. I mean, it's fine. It's the episode yeah. where Tom and Balana finally get married. But it's not a very memorable episode, and but of course, I mean, this is lower decks, right? I mean, they they'll not it's it's equal opportunity as far as referencing whether it's the good episodes or the bad episodes. They seem to take more pleasure in referencing the bad ones. But yeah, I thought it was a very interesting way to to, to kind of resolve it by just making it an entire nod to the episode, to that episode of Voyager. Agreed. But I. Of course, you know, this reignites my interest in Rutherford's backstory a bit more. And I hope that when they come back to it, not too much time will have passed. Right. We wouldn't want to go another couple of seasons. Yeah. I mean, am I going to have to wait for something next season, too? I mean, I just, I wonder if it's, but it's just got me wondering if it's building to something in the show itself. Is it something that starts off specific to Rutherford and then just gets a little bit, it begins to involve more of the crew? I just, I'm very curious about where they're going with that. I mean, it's two things. I mean, obviously I want to know what it is, but I want to know how sort of big the story actually is. Where where do we go with it? What is the right. ultimate goal with it, right? So, and how does it, yeah. how does it potentially change him, change who he is? Right. Given the the way the show handled uh, the arrest of the captain, yeah. Um, I would imagine if it does ever become a story point, it'll either be a quick reference like this, or it'll be one epi- one and done, as far as an episode. I, that would be my speculation. What's well, true? I mean, lo- even though lower decks may kind of build up these things, they seem to resolve them very swiftly. 
without a lot of lingering after effects. Yeah, right? they don't waste any time. They don't waste any time. They don't waste any time. I mean, you and I definitely thought that with the captain's arrest, that this was, I think at one point we, we thought, well, this is clearly going to go at least maybe a couple of episodes. I mean, because it just seems so like a big deal. And then they humorously just resolve it in the first episode and say, yeah, you need to let the process play out. And this all happened in the background as they were trying to hatch this whole rescue plan. It's like, no, it's fine. Uh-huh. And that was probably the funniest way to deal with it, honestly. You know, and again, when I thought about that, I I feel like at first I, I maybe would have been mad if they had done that a while ago. But it made so much sense when it, the way they had resolved it. I had said to you right. before that they did that with Shax, and I wasn't happy about it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, But I think it was more about I wanted the character to stay dead. Not that I didn't like him. I just think that when you do that and you bring him back, you kind of... I wanted them to commit to that, right? And I, so I think it was that. And then it was, and then we were like right around the time Boimler came back as well. So it felt like the show wasn't, it was doing these big things, taking these big swings, but it wasn't really committing to them, right? So I think it was just, I think that that's where, that's kind of where I was in my headspace at that time. Mm-hmm. But when they did this with Freeman, I said this when we did, when we were talking about that episode, I, I thought it landed much better than the Shaq's thing. Because well, I do think also one of the big reasons is because it, it being resolved off screen was part of the joke, right? And so funny, and and that's really what this show needs to be doing. And so I think that's why it works so well. Shax did seem a little more well. Shax was also hazard or random. Shax, that's what it is too. Shax was sort of it was not the it was not the point of that episode. He just I remember they just saw him like in a turbo lift or he walked by or something. And they were like, oh no, I think they saw him in like ten forward, I believe. So it was a it was a it was a surprise in that episode, but the episode was not about that, right? Right. And Actually, he and I don't forget to he just had, run into him and be you're alive. And he had been gone. Remember, like he because he he died in the true. finale, but he had been gone a couple of episodes. That's why they brought in Kayshawn, and we thought, oh, it's the replacement for Shax. And mm-hmm. so when you finally bring him back, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> so <laughs> it will, just, will, will Strange New Worlds do the same thing with Hammer? That's the question. Mm. You know I love Hammer. Well, we already know who the new chief engineer is, so yeah. it's Carol Kane. Weirdly, yes. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, so just kind of wrapping up this story thread, I think that I thought I thought it was a very interesting story this week for Rutherford, a very a nice kind of deep dive on Rutherford and us getting to know who he was. I, I like getting to know, I like seeing who the younger Rutherford was before he got the implant put on him. Yes, and I do like that the way he defeated him was through his friends, which a lot of the a lot of the messages of this series are, you know, that they may think they're miserable being lower deckers, but they right. have each other and they really love each other. So it's incredible was- to me. The last thing I'll say is like this: sh- just as a sort of a general comment, this show, this show, like just oozes teamwork, <laughs> and it's so gr- it's so wonderful. It's so heartwarming Ooh. to see the. The, the the emphasis on teamwork on this show and yeah. it's yeah and maybe it's the most sentimental of all the new Trek shows I think it is but I think it which I, is nice I think and I think Discovery thinks it is but I think this one is this is definitely yeah. the most sentimental and I have to wonder like just given how the 
crew of lower decks are best friends this way. Is that a unique thing? Or did Picard have a similar experience when he was lower decks, right? Did did Cisco? I just wonder about those things. Mm. Yeah. Well, I would assume Picard didn't because he was not very sentimental. Well, not until right. Picard. But somebody pointed out that I love, and I, I repeated it when we were talking about Strange New Worlds. At this point on Strange New Worlds, Uhura is lower decks. Yes. And yeah. she's got two or three other roommates so i wonder if it's kind of the same if it's kind of the same thing with her right but it, always, though, see. no no but we neither get to, michael, neither was michael and um tilly i just like that we can even i just like that we can now just look at people and be like oh yeah they're lower decks they're, they're lower decks like i like that that's just now a way of yeah describing characters everyone in the franchise now. was a lower deck at one point yes totally totally except maybe um archer because he didn't have a, there were no decks for him to train on. <laughs> there weren't. Well, there was no ships before his that went into space, like this, right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm telling you, like, there are times I want to do like a deep dive on Enterprise because what you just said, things like that, I wonder about. Yeah, I really wonder about, but unless it was the tail end of NASA or something. But let's get to the what I think is the weirdly the main story, even though it probably isn't really the main story. Right. Weirdly, but it's so it was so fucking funny. Just again, the idea of Starfleet going to like a job fair <laughs> and trying to recruit people was it, fantastic. It's brilliant. And so I, I've mentioned before that I work in a high school. So when we have college fairs and things, there's always a table where the mil one of the branches of the military will be recruiting. Right. And it has a very similar vibe because they're recruiting people into the military, but they have this little, you know, folding table and maybe they're giving out uh, pencils that say national yeah. guard on or something. Yeah. Yeah. Now I was wondering why, why would an independent archeologist be recruiting? Right. Right. But, Whatever, it was fun. Yeah, but there were so many wonderful things about it. I mean, they, they're they just in the middle, because they're not the only ones, right? There are all these other um, stands around them. This planet they're on, by the way, they went to in the second episode of the show. And this is the one where they had to bring that Klingon down to go to the embassy, and he, gets, and he steals the shuttle, and then they find him drunk, and fetch me my drinking horn, I need ale. Like, that's the, that's the planet they're on in the second episode of the series. Um, so what I, but there were all of these delicious things. I mean, they, to you, you know, they go down and it's this kiosk. They bring a cutout, a face, a head, a head, facial cutout of Kirk and Spock for people to get inside and take photos mm -hmm. with. And it's the animated series animation style, right. which is. But you know what I love about it? Like when you see them packing up the shuttle to go down. That thing is on the shuttle already. And I love that they just have it as if like it's it's just some item they have in storage. They just have it, yeah. they just have that anyway in case any in case we have to go recruiting. Right. It's like the Picard Day banner. It's just sitting right. in a in a stock room somewhere. Right. And and what I think what's so great about it is that there's there's no reference made to it one at all. It's just there in the background. And it's just as if you have to accept that, oh yeah, that's always oh yeah, every ship has one of those. Yeah, of course. How else are you gonna recruit? Right, exactly. Um, but the, it's it's 
Mariner and Boimler are, like, are sitting at this kiosk trying to recruit people, and it's next to this, as you say, independent archaeologist. And there's this weird sort of back and forth between her and Mariner, almost like a competition going back and forth between them. And to your point, I'm saying, why Why is she even there? What is, you know? But <laughs> be hilarious. as I'm watching this, I keep asking myself, okay, but where is this going? Like, like what is this? I don't get it. Where is this going? And we still don't really, even when it ended, we still didn't really get a sense. I mean, she was a former Starfleet officer. She served aboard the USS Victory. So she had she had time in Starfleet, but she instead became an archaeologist. And she's trying to recruit people for some, I guess, to go on archaeological digs or whatever. But it eventually led to her trying to recruit Mariner to join her. Which I thought was kind of interesting. I do think that it showed Mariner another possibility. Because, come yeah. on, Mariner would be great at that, given... Her she skill would. set. She would. Yeah. But I think my my favorite favorite moment was when because they have to go down there because don't forget Mariner is still reporting to Ransom. And so Ransom sends him down there and he says I want you to get I forget I, he wants her to be get to get start recruiting people and they want to you know I want you to come back with applications. You have to have applications. I want, we want you know some applicants there. And they're not really having any luck. They don't really have any luck until Boimler has has his has his meltdown and starts yelling at everybody, everybody else there, which I thought was just so fantastic. And I love the way that it started is because it's the outpost scientists, right, that are right. And, and it's just hilarious because as soon as you hear outpost scientists, you think of all the times that the Enterprise or some other ship has had to save the damn outpost scientists right. that have been attacked or investigate what happened to the outpost scientists. Right. The, every time. It's, it, and it's always, it, that's always a next generation story. They're always, there's, I, it never really occurred to me until this show said so, until this show said that like there's it's like yeah there's always something going on like on some outpost like whether that's people are like you know prematurely aging or like one outpost was attacked like there's always some disaster at an out at an outpost yeah it's been decimated or they sent a distress call (laughs) so it's hilarious that they are giving starfleet crap knowing what we know about how many times they're saved I, i believe um Boimler well, mentions that. So like, we well, always have to save you. Well, they always get there late. They always get there after the fact. <laughs> after the fact. That's true. That's yeah. True. Right. But and yeah, so they pull off his pip, and that's when the, that's the last straw for that him. Really sets him off. Making, also hilarious making fun of the uniforms. Well, if the uniforms are so great, why do you change them all the time? Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? That's a that that's sort of an issue with modern with modern Trek now. I mean. Oh, come on. No, 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 it's no, 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 no. Let me explain. Uniforms okay. did change often, but never to this degree. I mean, you, when we got to, when we went from the next generation to Deep Space Nine, they had two separate uniforms. But then once they got to generations, you saw a mix of both uniforms, right? Okay, wait, wait but in fairness, yes. during Next Generation, the uniform changed throughout Next Generation. There's points when Picard starts wearing like a gray jacket. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but the, the I don't know what the fuck's up with that, that one. But the, yeah. So the story goes. Quilted shoulder area. So, so in the first two seasons, they've got the whole one piece and it's spandex. And so apparently 
they right. changed it because Patrick Stewart's chiropractor said, if you don't change them, it's going to, if you don't do something about these uniforms, these costumes, it's going to permanently damage them and there's going to be a lawsuit. Because there were spandex yeah. that were one size too small. Yeah. So, it's because Roddenberry didn't like wrinkles, right? right. But after right. that, it stayed that uniform for the remaining remainder of the show. Picard was the only one who wore that, whatever that was. Um, but, right, but then you got, uh, I don't know, they, they, they changed. Okay, but then Deep Space Nine, yes. Discovery changed the most. Deep Space, so Deep Space Nine had the, you know, it was like the next gen, next gen one, but it was reversed. It was the color was on top, and then it was black down beneath. Right, and the purple turtleneck. Per, right, which Voyager, which Voyager got because Voyager was the same uh, time period. Time period. Mm-hmm. Then on Deep Space Nine, they changed around the first contact time frame, so about five years in, when they got the gray tops, and mm-hmm. the color was then the turtleneck. Right, Voyagers never changed because they were so far away; they didn't get new uniforms. Right. And then in the movies, they stayed that way. So we only, so we never really saw much overlapping uniforms, right? Overlapping different uniforms. It wasn't until now where it was like discoveries changed like constantly, like constantly changed. Um, yeah. Then when you got to and you had and you had yeah you had the discovery blue and silver or blue and copper whatever right right and then and you then, had. Um, Enterprise with very, totally different uniform. Again, you know, Boimler's meltdown I thought was a fant- was fantastic. I love how he just basically had something to say about everybody. I think yours and my favorite line is in there, which we will get mm-hmm. to. Yep. But I mean, you know, coming back to the Mariner thing for a second, I'm. Curious where that's if that is going to go any place. As you say, it's probably just another avenue to explore, but you know it may not. Right, she saved the contact info. Yeah, yeah. So who? Maybe that means she's just looking for a hookup, or maybe it means that she's interested in that, or maybe just wants to keep her options open. I think the most sensible thing would be for her to leave Starfleet at some point. Honestly. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping she doesn't because I want to see her. I want to. I feel like if she leaves, that just kind of, in a way, is giving up. Because I personally would like to see her overcome all of that. Because I think that where she is now with the lower deck, with this crew of the lower decks, I think she. I have a theory about her. I have a theory that in her time in Starfleet, she never really had a a group as tight as what she has on Lower Decks. And I think that what I would like to see happen is this kind of, it took her kind of working her way down the ladder again, well, being pushed down the ladder really, to Lower Decks to really kind of fully appreciate what Starfleet is. That Starfleet is more than just being, you know, a theme of the show is that Starfleet is just more than just being the captain of your ship and going out and doing exploratory things or making a difference. It's about the people that you're with and it doesn't really matter what the mission is. It's just, it's who you're doing it with. And I'm hoping that this helps her realize that if she hasn't already. I would like to see the lower deckers kind of change who she is and make her appreciate being in Starfleet. 
I don't know if I articulated that well, but that's that's what I hope it ends up being. I would hate to see her leave. Yeah, I would. I would like to see her leave, but have it be she would realize maybe, hey, you guys are my best friends, but I don't want to be in Starfleet. And she goes and does something else, but stays friends with them. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I don't know. Like, you. Or at least she joins like. It becomes a spy or something. You guys are my best friends, and I don't need to be in Starfleet for you to be my friends. Yes, exactly. So I'm going to go be a independent archaeologist or something. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, it was interesting story, but um, it kind of leaves us. I think both, in fact, both stories leave us with real kind of questions on what's going on, what is to come, because yeah. they offer some potentially tantalizing developments for these two characters and yeah i mean tell me more dude tell me more yeah and the best thing about it though is it was hilarious we got a lot of references packed in um you know and i laughed out loud a bunch of times which really has not happened much this season we we were pretty light on tendy stuff this week she was just kind of there to help the Rutherford plot, al- plot around, along, but she didn't really make a right. substantial contribution this week. So, yeah, but that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, don't force people in when they don't need to be in there, as we yeah. always say. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this. So, this is episode five. So, this is, so we've now hit, so we now have five episodes behind us, which means we're halfway into the season. Can you. Mm-hmm. Is as of this moment, I mean, is this one do you think this was the strongest one of the season? Oh, 100%. torn between this one and the first episode of the season. I think this one was the strongest, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I would say if I had to make a choice, maybe it would be this one because it's it can strike off in a few direct, different directions here, and it's some very strong character development. And I want to see where they take it. So I think, and and also in a way with between it being about Mariner and Rutherford respectively, I mean, there's, depending on where those plot lines go, I mean, there's potentially a kind of, they're potentially character altering stories, right? That could just change who they are completely. They could just strike off and go in an entirely different direction. So I can see where we're at with them. And I and I think that's what excites me most about those stories is that they they could truly change who their characters are depending on where they go. Yeah, yeah. And but you know, knowing the show, there's a good chance also next week we don't hear anything about this. We don't hear anything about this for a while or ever. Which is fine too. Lower decks is Lower Decks doesn't immediately follow upon stories generally. Right. They were so. funny episodes. They were. I, 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 I think the last thing I'll say is that I think what the show is really good at doing is, even though, again, it comes at us in a comedic way, every once in a while you get an episode like this where the show reminds you, hey, don't forget, you know, we still do, we'll still do serious stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll mm-hmm. still take yeah, plots we, very we, seriously. We yeah. Right. 
And honestly, that's what I like to show best because I feel like earlier we were getting mediocre plots and mediocre laughs. Right. So, like I said, if you're going to give me a mediocre plot, you better give me some great laughs. I'm but all... if you're going to give me a great plot and great laughs, that's when it's doing everything right. I'm also still, you know, two and a half seasons in. I'm always, I'm endlessly amazed at just how much story they're able to f- to put in to such a short runtime. I mean, you come out of an, I come out of an episode feeling like I just watched something that was like potentially an hour long, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's second only to like The Simpsons yeah. or or um, Rick and Morty as far as just cramming in a lot of story in a very short one. Well, and you, I mean, again, you teach writing. So, I mean, do you have any kind of like insight into that? Like how, you're ma- how you manage to make such a densely packed story in such a short period of time? Like what is it? You know, is it is well, there like a single thing to do or like you know. it reminds me a lot of what I tell students in writing is often they'll want to know how long something should be. Yeah. And I will always say as long as it takes for you to say all the things you need to say. Right. And, you know, some people, I think the better writers can say it in half or a quarter of the space that a less, you know, skilled writer can do. I think that concision being very like getting the most out of every word in every line right is it's a not easy yeah it 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 it, it i think it 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 and you know particularly in tv right because you have your hour-long shows and you have your half-hour shows and i am always curious about how that is accomplished how the challenge of writing a story for for length like that. I mean, if you, just really quickly, if you look at the pilot episode of The Next Generation, right? It was, which I think is uh, either today, I think it's today actually as well, uh, aired 35 years ago. But they had written it to originally be an hour long. And then they brought in Q and extended the story. But one of the people who was writing it, Dorothy Fontana, had you know added more to it with Q, but she ended up writing it to be ninety minutes. And she said, mm. "If we write it to be ninety minutes, we can either go either way. We could expand it and make it two hours, or we could take stuff out and just make it an hour." And I'm just like, "How do you even? How do you?" Well, even I do think that? though, because, I, mean, like, I think it's a bad know. example because I think it shows that yeah. in that so that they were kind of padding it out. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it's it's like writing the story and then having so much in there. And, you know, if you have to cut it down, I'd be like, yeah, but all this stuff, like, I'd like to think that everything I've written is so important. Like, if we cut this, we're going to lose. So it's just, I don't know. I, I'm not a writer, of course. So I, I don't, I have no insight into that at all. So, but that, that the writing process yeah. in that fashion really fascinates me on how that is how that is done and i know you know it's obviously not a skill that is perfected as other tv shows have demonstrated right but yeah i do think i i've said this before there are many original series episodes that i wish were 40 or 30 minutes Hmm. that could have been cut down to 30 minutes i think and be stronger for it yeah yeah but that could just be because of the pacing of the time yeah maybe that's that's you know 
maybe that's an unpopular statement, but so a favorite line for the week as I think um, it's the first time we've had the same favorite line. No, we've had the same favorite line before, but I think okay, we, not this season. Not, not this, season. this. No, not this season. No, I mean there have been times I've watched it and I said to myself, "This is going to be his favorite line too," and then I was wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so why don't you say what the line okay, is and so give my the context? Line is, well, all right. First, let me set this up. So yeah. when we talk about lame episodes of Star Trek, yep, there's one that I bring up probably more than others, and that's Move Along Home. Yep. And so the line is now I don't know what the they were recruiting for, what they were even doing there, but they had the blue on their forehead, so we knew who yeah. it was. And, yeah, yeah. and um Boy says, You're always getting people trapped in games. Stop trapping people in games. That well that's also I mean, that's a reference to the episode the game in Next Gen. It's those headsets that people that they there's that weird game that they all get addicted to. Wait, no, those are the move along home people. But the game, if you look on the table, there were those headsets. I don't remember oh, if they weird. were. Just, Maybe it's the same people that do the game and do the move along home, I don't but remember they were the move along home people. I don't remember if they were the same aliens. They might have been. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, like that's the I, game is what he's that, the game is what he's referring to. Oh, interesting, because I'll have you know, I just watched the move along home because Julia's watching. Oh, good Lord. Why? Deep Space Nine. The hopscotch. <laughs> And so I saw them, and they have that blue paint on their forehead. So it mm. definitely was the Move Along Home people. That that hopscotch game that they have to play is awful. <laughs> well, I so really quick story. I was watching a Dragon Con panel from like 2009. It was a DS9 panel. Avery Brooks was there, which was great. Sir Rock Lawton, who played Jake, was there, and Terry Farrell, who played Dax, was there. Was there. So they're at the Q and A session, and so somebody comes up and says to Avery, "They said, you know, do you have a least favorite moment of the show, of the show, or a least favorite episode?" And he said, uh, Avery, you know, being, you know, doing his Avery Brooks thing, you know, he's like, um, you know, leans forward on the table and he says, uh, only one thing comes to mind. And he kind of leans in quietly. And then very quietly, he begins to sing that song. <laughs> and the entire audience <laughs> just like erupts into laughter. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. All he said was the first, the first word. And yeah. the audience knew exactly what he was talking about. Oh, he's so funny. I love yeah. him. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a really, really lame episode. You know, I, I that's a first season, a second season. It's it's early, but um, yeah. I, I'm but, still convinced. I, I mean, yes, it's a bad episode. That was, I think, still in the Deep Space Nine when it was sort of trying to figure itself out. Yes. And I, you know period, what? Honestly, being it recently... I don't think it's a bad episode. I think it's a lame episode. It's just right. different. But again, as I say, Lower Decks is not afraid to even make mention of the bad episodes. Right. Yes. And I love it because everything exists for Lower Decks. Whereas other shows, you know, they do some shows, oh, we'll ignore the silly stuff or we'll right. embrace this aspect of the show. But for Lower Decks, it all happened. It all matters. Oh, yeah. I mean, before Strange New Worlds did it, I had no doubt that Lower Decks would have made mention of Cybok, and we probably wouldn't maybe even seen him at some point. Right. You know what? Actually, though, my favorite line, other favorite line could be when someone says something about time travel to save the world. So you don't even have to travel through time to save the world. And um, Mariner says, uh, that only happened like three, four times, maybe five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you know, we love those when so, because whenever these things come up, on the shows, they never 
act like this is normal and this has happened a bunch of times before. They always seem to act like it's the first time this crazy thing is happening. So um, I love that Lower Deck's the only one that will acknowledge that, yes, this I, crazy stuff happens all the time. I will also mention that um, there's another there's another line where um, Rutherford's telling, it's when Rutherford's telling Tendi in the beginning when he's having bad dreams and she asks if his dream is the one where he's in a new timeline with Kirk and Spock and they have cinematic chemistry. <laughs> that was good. Which, which I thought was pretty funny. That was great. And yeah, that was that was um, that was wonderful. I, I really enjoyed that one. Yes. Um, so that's a good segue into Memberberry Corner. Memberberry Corner, right? So I'm going to. I've got to give credit to trekcore.com here because I was I was checking online to like you know there was some I remember but I wanted to actually go online and check a few other ones. Trekcore has a lot. I'm not going to read all of them. They have one that really jumps out at me though. So, and the reason I'm going to mention this one is because this just shows how deep some of these cuts go. Remember in the first season when they had mentioned Zon? The character of Zon, who was like an unused character for the undeveloped Star Trek Phase 2 television series. That's when I was like, okay, that's a really fucking deep cut. This is like on the same Mm -hmm. level. So, one of something Mariner says in this episode, she says, prepare yourself for warp 10 excitement. Mm. That's a warp 10 excitement is on the back of the Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan novelization. So the back of the books is where they give the summary of the story. But the big catchphrase says, prepare yourself for warp 10 excitement. That is a deep and That's a really... I mean, I don't read the Star Trek novels, and I certainly don't read the the novels based off the films. So I would not have never known. have the back of the book. The back of the book. Yeah. I mean, that's... Aside yes. from next week, does it get any deeper than that, right? That is so nice. One that I will point out, because I get to say the name Wallace Shawn, is yep. that uh, we see the Grand Nagus's, um, you know, staff of, of office, so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the the plant, the mind control plants that Tendi looks at in the beginning, those are from the original series episode, The Side of Paradise. The plants that mm. spit stuff out and they get high. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, this could be another favorite line of mine. It's when uh, it's during Boim- one of Boimler's freakouts, and he says, "The doctor didn't spend seven years in the Delta Quadrant for you to question his agency. He's got rights." <laughs> yes. Which is a reference to one of the last episodes of Voyager when he writes a hollow novel, and he transmits it to the Alpha Quadrant and they release it without his authorization. And so then a whole yeah. it's kind of like a very light measure of a man, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Measure of a hollow. The thing I thought was funny in hearing that is I thought, did I miss something? Was someone talking about the doctor and No. No, it was just a hilarious You should watch that episode though. I think you'd like that one, to be honest with you. Um yeah. and yeah, they uh we see the staff belonging to the Grand Negus from the Ferengi Alliance, which I wonder if it's just teeing up for the episode for next week. We also get a mention of Cisco. He's still doing celestial temple things, mm. which um, or or is he? Because conspiracy theorists don't believe it. 
Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. And this, in this, um, this is an observation I can retain for the DS9 episode is that I like that they're not taking that lore and just, you know, messing it up or like retconning anything or, right, even, or, making, or us finding out like, oh no, Cisco is fine now. It's like, you know, yeah, they're they're leaving it just as it is, which I think is very nice. Right. Which yeah. is good. You got to do that because one day someone may continue that story. Exactly right. Um, Boimler failed the Kobayashi Maru seventeen times. Right. Uh, yep. Which I thought was seems about right. But we also learn that Tendi signed up for Starfleet through a recruitment booth like the one we see in this episode. Yeah, so those are just some those are just some choice ones that I wanted to mention again. Thank uh, you know, thank you, Trekcore. I'm sorry, I was you know sort of stealing these from you, but um, I had to go on. I generally go online to uh, confirm some of these uh, member berries that we do, and they just had an exceptionally detailed one that I just wanted to. Yeah, the back cover of the novel. That's the back dude. The back cover. I mean, I would not have even known that. They deserve all the credit in the world for getting that one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the last one I'll mention: the USS Victory, which I mentioned earlier. That's a uh, ship that we see in Elementary Data, which is actually a Constellation class, which is the Stargazer, which is also the same model that Boimler has in the recruitment booth. So that's the same class of vessel that the USS Victory is. So, yeah. But no, I I I, I think a good episode this week. It's nice to sort of come away with it feeling enthusiastic. Obviously, you know, we weren't, I wouldn't say uh, too, too enthusiastic about the previous ones, but I think life was getting in the way and was also <laughs> having an effect on me as well. So, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think it was lackluster episodes. Somewhat lackluster. And you know what? So, in not, we don't obviously take our cues from what the other people are saying, but. Yeah. I did see one review of this episode, and it's in the title was something like "Finally, Lower Decks hits its stride for the season with this episode." So we're not alone in thinking that it was um, yeah. a little yeah. needed a little little boost. It does. I mean, it, but I can also when I when I think back on us talking about the previous seasons, right around that time, before the fifth episode, we were having sort of similar reservation. We I think we were a little more disappointed in the first season because we felt we in a way it, I think when they got to the third one and the fourth one I, I just remember it was episode 3 and 4 we felt like they kind of abandoned the premise. Mm, right. And the fifth and then the back half of the season fantastic. And the same thing in season 2 I was kind of upset with the whole like well how come Boimler like I was saying earlier, like you didn't stick to your land, you didn't stick with what you guys were establishing. So what's going on? But then again, fifth about right about the halfway point, it just takes off again. So I think once Mariner and Boimler kind of resolved their differences of Boimler leaving to go to the Titan, that's when it really kind of took off. And I think that we're in a similar thing here. So when we get to season four, is this what should I expect this and just be cool with it? I don't know, but. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully they'll be able to fire, you know, have it just um, a start to finish solid season. But, you know, well, moving into next week, the next episode, obviously, 
it's the I don't think it's too crazy to say the easily the most anticipated episode of the season. And why is oh, that right. and why is that number two? Uh, because they're going to um, a um, station outside of a stable wormhole. Yeah, which we have not been to in twenty three years in the mm-hmm. real world. Yes, yes. This is lower decks will mock the return of Deep Space Nine. Which, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, and actually, here's the a last thought. Here, I have that um, that headline. At last, Star Trek Lower Decks finally nailed it this season. And this was from uh, IO9. You bring up a good point, though, with that, because something you said earlier, that it's good to have, you know, some really good laughs in the show. But when they do a story that's like a dramatic story, like a serious story alongside that, and it's done Mm. well, I mean, that in a way I feel like is kind of the right mixture for the show. Right. I mean, I don't mind them doing a full-on comedy. That's fine. Because as long, right? But but when you tackle a story that also has a that's also very serious. I mean, if that was the show, if that was the show template, let's say, that's fine. Because I think it just shows. I think what it does is it shows the strength of the show itself. It shows that they can still do that while making you laugh your ass off but also that they're not doing anything that really because the show is mostly a comedy it episodes like this show that they can really do storylines that you could still do on the other series right right and you know what comes up for me with this is like McMahon the creator wrote it it's almost like the when we just would wish that Kirsten Byer would write all the Discovery episodes. Yes. I just wish Mike McMahon would write all the Lower Decks episodes. Yeah. Did he write next week's? Uh, that's a good question. Let's I didn't look, out. actually, when I watched it. Let's see who wrote next week. I don't think he did, but I don't know how. If, if he was a, he's a creator, he could assign anyone. I mean, it'd be I can see why he would want to write it himself. As he comes along and says, I want to write this. I get to write all the fun ones. Uh, Nope. Uh, Grace Para Jenny. Okay. 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 Is the writer of Hear All, Trust Nothing. Grace Para Jenny is uh, known for her work on Solar Opposites, another Solar Opposites um, alumni. Yep. Um. Yeah, not much else. Broke, some show called Broke. Okay. Yeah, Solar Rock. heard of it. All right. Well, very good. Uh, I just I want to mention one quick news item before we wrap up. I want to get mm-hmm. your thoughts. So apparently, Paramount has taken Kelvin Timeline film number four off its release schedule again. So once again, we find ourselves with no new Star Trek film on the horizon. And you know what? Couldn't care less. I mean, I, I would like to see it. I want it to come out, but I'm not investing that much in it because I feel like we've heard a lot of this talk over the years. 
Broken Promises. Um, I remember when I think when this was time it was first announced, someone asked one of the actors, and they said that they this, the first they heard of it was the, them being asked the question. So they're clearly not seriously, you know, putting I, this thing together. I'm telling you, I'm going back to what I had been saying really since Discovery came on, since they were going to be putting Trek, putting new Trek on a streaming platform. Make films for streaming. Right. Right. And why can't we have a Strange New Worlds you know what's interesting movie or something like that, you know? Is even Disney, for all its success with its shows for Marvel and Star Wars, has not crossed that line of making the movies for the streamer. So right. maybe Star Trek will do it or I hey, they should bring back the cast to another one. I really do think that that would be fine. They I, can be run simultaneously. I just think that I think part of the reason, and I know that going to streaming doesn't necessarily get a handle on like whatever that situation is because, you know, you're trying to, I'm sure it's like finding a director, finding, you know, who knows. But aside from that, I don't think that Trek, Trek has never had the massive draw for theatrical audiences like Marvel or like a Star Wars does, right? So I think that if you bring it to streaming, just do streaming films, and especially nowadays, if you bring it to streaming and just make it for streaming. Right. And and it seems like they're able to save a lot of money by using that that yeah. green special effect room where you have totally. the screen showing the backgrounds totally. and all that. And and let's be honest, I mean, we've now reached a point where the line between television and film is pretty much non existent. I mean right. these these Trek shows are so unbelievably like I'm watching the season finale of Strange New Worlds and I'm just saying to myself like this is a f- goddamn film. This is right, a, right. this is fantastic, yeah. right? Yeah. Even and the I'm look watching, of Discovery, uh, yeah. I've been watching the Lord of the Rings series and yeah, it is very you know definitely looks like a fine film every episode. Although I guess it's one of the most expensive. It is the most expensive TV show. I would just like to see them do something like Marvel did on net with the uh, Marvel Netflix shows with Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and have it all eventually become the defenders, right? You and I have talked about, and you've, you've echoed the sentiment a lot more than I have feeling like when, when it comes to this new series of Trek shows on streaming, that it doesn't really seem a lot like a long-term plan. It's just kind of like they're not building to anything. Right, like I said, I swear they did the Section Thirty One show because people just liked Michelle Yeoh. They're like, oh yeah, we'll do the show there. So yeah. you know, that's fine. I like Michelle Yeoh too. I mean, Stranger Things really clearly came as a response, right? But it never, yeah, like it never. It's like, oh, let's try a show about that. That'll be interesting. Oh, people like Picard. Let's do that. But they, 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 and they, they coexist, but they don't really, they don't interact with each other. And I can understand that because different time periods. But I mean, it's Star Trek, dude. You don't need that's. That should not be a hurdle because it's been done before. Yeah. I just think that they yeah. should I'm in agreement with you. I would love to see them build towards something. I would love to see a two hour film made for streaming that maybe brings Discovery and Strange New Worlds together or Picard and Dis- Strange New Worlds something. You know? Yeah. So and not just another episode of a show where they just cross over, right? Right. Or even even if they did the style of um the DC uh, CW shows where, you know, it's it's a story that spans across one episode from each series. Yes. So you wind up with like a four-hour story because you get one episode of Discovery, one episode of Stranger Worlds, one episode of Picard, one episode of whatever. This is, this is uh, another example of my terrible 
useless knowledge of television, but Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley once did that. There was an episode, it was their respective season premieres, I think. There was a, but there was an episode, it began on Happy Days and then it concluded on Laverne and Shirley a couple days later. Brilliant. But they crossed over with each other, right? But they didn't, they weren't aired back to back, like Happy Days aired on a Tuesday. Right. Yeah, that's how the DC does it, where it goes for the whole week. It's fantastic. Yeah. I think you lose something like that in streaming, though, because it's like you almost want to take advantage of it airing airing at a certain time. So I think you kind of lose a little bit of that. But they can release them see executive days. Well, that's the thing. Like streaming these Trek shows, they release them once a week, right? So right. it's not like, but the shows are never like airing together. That's you, true. You'd have to you would have to end a season on one show. And then have the yeah. whatever show is coming next pick up that thread, right? Yeah, yeah. But but nevertheless, yeah. I mean, I think it would be, I think it could be amazing if they did something. I would love to see them sort of really take advantage of that. As I've always said, I think the only way they've fully taken advantage of the streaming platform is by doing those short tricks. Which where are yeah. they? They seem pretty forgotten. Yeah, but that was a really good like way of testing new ideas. It was interesting. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm curious about what happened to that. I hope it's not gone because I did enjoy them. Probably. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it would be hard. I don't know. I just imagine it would be hard to justify the expense of those to an executive. I could see, I could understand them making them at the time. Like, they wanted more track. Okay, we can do these, like, short ones really quickly. You know, I can sort of see that as a way yeah, of sort of like. Don't- Cancel their subscription until the next one's out. But now that we have so much new Trek on the air, it almost feels like... But it could still fill in some gaps, in my opinion, but... Right. All right, well, uh, we're going to be back with our next episode in a couple of days, where we return to Terok Nor and potentially see some old friends. So, with that, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time. Later. Later.